afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us with the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast. This is a podcast led entirely by graduate school students at Georgetown University in the McCourt School of Public Policy. We focus on different areas of public policy, of course, and we get to talk to experts in the field in different areas of public policy of folks that are working to make sure that our communities are working to the fullest extent that they can and trying to solve different issues out in the world. So we are here today joined by Michael Wallace. I'm going to talk to us a bit about the Mint Project here in Washington, D.C. We'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Devin. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I went to a close-by school. I don't know if I can say the name, but uh, it starts with a G as well. All right. Uh, George Washington. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I studied public health there and really fell in love with the need for, sorry, really fell in love with the needs for the upstream population. I studied at Howard University as well in medical and pre-medical and biology studies, and I really thought I was going to become a doctor. I was like, I, I see the need for emergency services. And then when I found out about public health, I was like, wow, there's a way to actually help people before they end up in an emergency. And so that kind of really started aligning my path to how I can be of help in more of a preventative mindset. And then as I continued through my schooling and public health, I, I found faith in a way that was like, wow, there's like this hope and this space and this social emotional experience and the spiritual experience that comes before even the emergency and the prevention and the social experience that we have in this earth as well. And so I was like, wow, I have to go further upstream. And it led to me starting Mint Project. That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And my first takeaway from that is that as a student, you really saw a way that you could go ahead and connect with your community and you were called to do something to go ahead and serve. And I thought that was so awesome. And it really just is a testament to all of us that are going through our higher education program, whether you're an undergrad or a graduate student, that it's never really too early for you to start delving into something greater. If you feel that there's something that calls to you as a passion project that you want to learn more about and then develop something like MIM Project, ultimately, that is going to create a really huge uh, access to something that your your community needs. And I just keep saying the word community, but I also really feel like it's a really good fit for you too, because I know that you talk a lot about your faith and how it comes to play and what you do and just that feeling of like togetherness of essentially how we can all play a role in this. I know that you started to talk a little bit about public health and how we can play a role essentially in preventing folks from going to the ER and making sure that they have access to public health, making sure that we are being able to treat phenomenons, I guess, before they start and get really serious, making sure that we are be doing yeah. preventative actions and thinking about that in terms of solutions. So that's really awesome. So tell us about Mint Project. We've been mentioning a little bit so far and tell us about how that got started. So it sounds like you were in school, you realized public health yeah. exists and that you wanted to get involved. And now you lead this organization. Can you tell us about what that looks like at its onset? Yeah, so I, I really love the way we started, and I think you hit a spot on, Jasmine, about community. 
um, because our first work, I guess, as was really just a group of friends and brothers and even sisters, is we came together to talk about what is faith and what is love. And love question came after faith. We were like, what is this faith? Like, what is this about? Like, why do we need to have faith? And then we came to the conclusion that love, love is the reason why we have, we should have faith. And we kept having these roundtable discussions. We used to choose like a random hotel and we would go crash and have a, a roundtable discussion about these kind of big topics. And finally we decided, you know what? We know it's love. And what is that greatest display of love and how do we go do it? And so my greatest inspiration of love is the example of Jesus Christ. And so I was like, guys, we need to go out in front of Union Station and give away care bags to the homeless. And they were like, okay, let's do it. And so we went out in front of Union Station. We gave out food, we gave out socks, we gave out water, we gave out anything they asked for. Some people were like, can you please bring back a Bible? And we're like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll bring back a Bible. And we just kept coming back. We did this every other month or so until we realized, you know what, we are actually living out a mission and this mission we should have we should put a name on it and so we came up with the name mint project that this refreshing opportunity to volunteer and bond through service and we just kept hosting events and hosting events until we found ourselves being entrusted by the city to not just work with shelter jesus christ so let's just try to be like him and so we just went out and we gave out food, we gave out water, gave out care bags of anything they asked for if they asked for a book we came back with books for clothes, we came out with clothes, and we found ourselves doing this month after month until we realized we're living out a mission. Um, and that mission it was to feed the hungry, and still is, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, and clothe those in need. And that and became like really our founding mission statement for what became Mint Project, a refreshing place to volunteer and bond through service month after month. Young folks from the Washington, D.C. area that were really inspired and motivated to get up and ensure that they were serving um, the people within their own neighborhood and making sure that the questions are answered of, hey, what is it that you need? And hearing feedback from the homeless from where um, help is needed, you know, I feel like it's very rare, I want to say, that we have those direct conversations, that we see them, and that we hear from yeah. the community where the help is needed and we're we're having that conversation with them and asking hey what is it that we can do for you um i feel like it's puts one a face to a name it prevents us from thinking about the homeless community as just a statistic um it's very a very good learning opportunity very eye-opening um for me personally when i've done work with the homeless through my nonprofit work it has been eye-opening for me to realize that a lot of these individuals are short-term exactly. homeless. People can be homeless for a matter of 30 days. They can be homeless for two weeks. Um, sometimes they really do just need someone to help them back up on their feet and to help get them to that next step, whether it's housing, employment, or something else that they need, some other essential service. Yeah. It can be um, something so simple to get them right back on the right track. But I think that we often lose sight of that because not all yeah. of us are in that situation. So it's very difficult for us to think about how we would go about solving those problems. Uh, but MIMP Project is mm -hmm. such a good example of how folks can get really connected and really understand more uh, about the world around us and step outside you know, your own shoes for a moment in order to think about how we can bring solutions to the table. So that's awesome. 
Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we talked a bit about public health. Can you tell us and your experience, especially with MIM Project and working with the homeless, tell us why investing in public health matters. I love that. You said that so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, public health is just such a big, a big topic. It's a big name, and it's a big responsibility when you think about how can I, as an individual, affect an entire community, which is our, our word of the day, right, or affect an entire city or an entire country or even affect the world. How can we do that and do so in a way that keeps that person in mind? Because too often I feel like I try to solve solutions without including the person who we're trying to solve the solutions for and that's why I love public health, because it's all about keeping the person in the center of your work. And I think that's what makes our work at Mint Project so successful. Is You're right, Jasmine, we started in the very beginning sensing and co-sensing, um, which are like design thinking words, with our population. Like, what are you dealing with? What do you need and what do you want? And, and, and what do you want out of life? And, and what are you struggling with? And we found that it was a couple of things, that they were struggling with hope in, in their faith which is an interpersonal and, and social-emotional need that links very closely to our physical needs. And we also found they, they lack some structural support to have access to services, Medicaid, food and nutrition support, economic security, and even housing security. And so we asked ourselves, how can we help? If we choose anything along this route of all these needs that you have, how could we be a part of the solution? And we realized that if we're going to try to be a solution solver, we should bring those who are also affected by the issues to the table. And so we're like, we want to improve shelter experiences, the homeless experience in D.C. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to hire those individuals suffering from houselessness, suffering from housing insecurity. We're going to, we're going to hire them to be the ones to actually make it better. And so that's what we do. We hi we've hired over 50 homeless youth and at-risk youth throughout the D.C. area to improve their community. And we do that at the same time as our monthly events of hosting beautification work with the body. We clothe those people that are in need with new clothes, and we encourage them with new ideas, and we ask them, how can we better serve you? And we go back and we try to make it better, better each time. I think that's what public health is about. It's about getting feedback along the way to improve the health of people with them involved in the process. That is wonderfully said. I love that you said public health is keeping the person centered. And I had a professor this last semester, and she would always tell us when we're writing public policy to really think about the fact that we are taking the streets to the suite, so to speak. In other words, that we are taking individual narratives from those that have been affected by policy issues and then bringing them over to the Capitol and speaking with members of Congress and bringing not only their narratives, of, of course, but it really brings to life when we just hear things like housing insecurity, economic insecurity in the news. That's one thing, of course. But when we are able to bring a narrative, that's so much more important. And we should always, always, always be thinking about solutions 
from the people that are living these experiences. So I think that's so incredibly Mm -hmm. vital and I couldn't agree more, but I think you absolutely also touched on some really wonderful points there when you were talking about all that public health encompasses. We were talking about food insecurity, nutrition, mental health, and overall emotional, spiritual well-being, and you bring that in through faith. So I think that's super interesting. I just started working with the American Psychology Association and it's just really, really important. People don't really realize how much of a huge intersection there is between that. People are feeling like they have a support network, ensuring that folks have that oftentimes faith is so cultural that they have like that cultural component that sense of belonging overall is just truly such a big thing especially when you're going through such a hurdle what we're trying to really bring out is that reminder not just in the people that we're serving that you really benefit from belonging but the people who are serving with us that we're bonding together as we try to encourage and and water and and plant seeds of, of love and positivity and faith and hope and and others that we are bonding together as we do this together. Because um, all of our events and, and to make real change requires uh, teamwork. Even as you mentioned, like the economic insecurity, those create great divides as well. And when you realize how thin the line is that separates you from being homeless or being housed, it really changes your perspective when you hear the stories that people go through and you see yourself potentially being there. Is there any story particularly that comes to mind that you would be willing to share with us? We've served hundreds of people over the years, hundreds of volunteers. And I think what moves me the most is when a volunteer calls me and says, Michael, today I saw someone you know, on the street dealing with homelessness, and I, I brought them some food, and, and I, I went home and I got some soaps, and, and I brought it to them the next day. And the way that they sound so proud of themselves, I love it because that's what it's really all about. It's about sparking not just a, a reliance upon that project, uh, as an example, but a personal reliance upon, you know, this greater calling that we have to show love and peace and patience, humility and self-control to those who are in need. The story I think that, um, I guess, sticks out when it comes to our work in the shelters is that we have an individual, I'll call him Leek, or that's his nickname, and we hired him. He was homeless. He staying in the shelter system, and we're like, Leek, we need your help to turn the outside of this shelter into something that's beautiful, something that can is more safe, something that can be a, a kind of a lighthouse for the youth that come to this shelter so that they can receive services and have a safe space to, to hang out and play and be a child again if they need to and exercise. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And so he stuck with us for 10 weeks, and he did an amazing job. He graduated. We gave him a pen. We had all these, we had like 60 volunteers help us it happen and he came to me afterwards and he's like Michael what are you going to do next I was like you know what Leek I think we're going to we're going to build a clinic and this is a youth who who suffered from issues with the incarceration system we haven't talked about that yet but from housing insecurity and and violence in in his you know upbringing and he was like Michael come sit down and I get a little nervous when someone says Michael come sit down so I was like okay let me sit down (laughs) what's going on and he was like do you have a notepad? I was like, here you go. Here's a notepad. Here's a pen. He's like, you want to build a clinic, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, here's what you should do. And he starts walking me through the process. Like, you should reach out to your stakeholders. You should find out what kind of needs are the youth needing 
to be present in the shelter to serve their mental health and serve their, their physical needs. And he starts walking through the entire process, the same process that we taught them when they were building the and beautifying the outside of the shelter. And that made us feel so proud that I could see the fruit of our work organizing his mind and showing him that he can approach and solve any problems that's thrown at him if he just pray, plan, and execute. Uh, we really often hear narratives about whether or not we should be investing in certain types of people, homeless people, those that have been incarcerated, and truly just defying the odds by not only taking part in the program, but then later leading and executing successfully another initiative. That is truly wonderful. You touched on incarceration just a second ago. That's also like a really important piece of probably public health that I really haven't even delved into myself. So I'd love to hear more about you. I know how important it is to really delve into that the proportion of our population that has been recently incarcerated to ensure that we are taking care of them so that we can lower rates of recidivism or their likelihood to go back to incarceration and make sure that they have housing and job security so that they're able to go and leave more productive lives ultimately lead to safer communities. Tell us what that means in terms of public health, like in terms of what the barriers might look like for health access for maybe those that were recently incarcerated or just in general for the community that you have been serving. You said it so well. You really you really speak to the importance. and It really is necessary to think about how do we lower those barriers to access because in the end, we are all paying for each other. We're, we're a bonded earth. We're a bonded nation. Uh, we are here to serve each other. Whether we like to or not, our taxes are going towards the places that I work at. Uh, many of the shelters that uh, Mint Project partners with are funded through tax dollars because we have determined that we have this fundamental desire in America, at least, to uphold the poor, to uphold the, the voiceless, the oppressed, and to break the yokes and chains on those individuals so they can live a better life. And I think it's because we're founded on these Christian principles as a nation that it makes us so equipped to actually go out and make sustainable change. And some of that change that I see that is so necessary for the lives of individuals who might have been formerly incarcerated, is having access to employment. Employment is such a huge driver for so many other social needs. Without employment, homelessness is so easy to creep up. Um, without employment, you have um, lack of nutritional support at times, and lack of access to food, lack of access to transportation. And so employment is so huge. And so that's probably focused really uh, singularly um, on employment as our vehicle for teaching them so many other things. And so when we're working with youth who are formerly incarcerated, we first screen them for the type of incarceration, looking at their experience with violence or nonviolent crimes to figure out what kind of rehabilitation is necessary. We're dealing with individuals who show that they have a desire to work, which is most of the youth in the shelter. Most of them desire to work. They really want to break out of their situation. So we ask them, okay, well, are you on food stamps? Are you on Medicaid? Do you have a caseworker? Are you meeting with someone for your mental health? What is your faith walk, your spiritual health like? Are you talking to a mentor? Are you learning new new things? Are you focusing on your education? And it's called the six keys of success. It was coined most prominently for me from Covenant House Workers. It's an, another shelter that we work at. And it's all about taking the formerly incarcerated individual into the new promised land through six keys, which is what we just mentioned, which is the knowledge, um, and the educational support, which is their physical health, which is their emotional health, which is their spiritual health, which is also their ability to have relational health and community health. And then lastly, is focusing on the financial health. 
And if we can get all those things in order using an internship, we determine that that's the best vehicle that we can think of to help them break out of that cycle of homelessness, incarceration, low self-esteem, drug use disorders, and the like. Well, wow, Michael, that's amazing. I think that what I'm really taking away from this portion of our conversation is the fact that, and this is something that we sort of already know with public policy, so many of these issues are very intersectional. So we might not always think about the fact that incarceration rates affect how healthy our communities are. But ultimately, if we are dealing with a cycle of folks that are going back to poverty because they are continuously being incarcerated and recidivism is is high, the rate of going back to incarceration is high, then we have to consider, one, how we are going to break that cycle and ensure that our communities are being able to ensure that they're healthy, that they are productive, that they're is growth in our communities and we might not always put those things together but um, it does make yeah. sense so that is really wonderful like yes exactly like a whole organism functioning together to ensure uh, that we have a strong healthy community that is safe and a good place to flourish awesome michael thank you so much for sharing what do you think the major obstacles would be or barriers to health access are or for healthier communities i know that we mentioned a little bit of them before we mentioned access to food or nutrition you mentioned the the clinic that you're building do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and tell us more what we can do to ensure that we can push for better changes in health access or if it's something that we can do in our own communities what do you think that the answer is at the moment enough we're not creating bridges enough and i think if we could create a policy or take an approach to policy that could make an even greater difference I think it's creating greater connections between people. Mint Project is all about building bridges between churches and schools and universities and nonprofits and shelters and, and saying, let's all work together to feed the hungry, give drinks to the thirsty, clothe those in need, meet the needs, not just physically, but in the souls of individuals that they can better their own lives in the, in, in the same breath. If we're going to do that, it does take a policy lens just as much as it takes a get on the ground and make it happen. And I think, um, Jasmine, you probably have a much, you know, more advanced and expert, you know, expert opinion when it comes to policy development. So I'll ask you, what do you think we should do? <laughs> but if I could choose, like, one thing, I would say in the breadth of, of connecting people better, it would be funding those types of programs that bring any form whatsoever of mentorship. Mentorship is like so important. Um, I wish we didn't need it as much as we did, but because the family structures break down so often in communities that have suffered from oppression and low access, there's a knowledge barrier, a knowledge gap that doesn't always make it to the next generation. And having mentors, people who have been highly resourced or highly favored to kind of take a, a leap of faith to encourage someone that looks nothing like them or has experience that's nothing like them to say, this is how I got to where I got. These are the resources that I've used to stay where I am. Here's how you can do it too. That mentorship is so powerful. And shelters need it. And, you know, communities of need need it. Communities of color need it. Um, and when it comes to how you can make that happen policy-wise, I, I bow to you, Jabba. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, I think that this has been a really insightful conversation for me policy wise. I definitely have my wheels turning and my response is always thinking about the fact that any sort of public solution always has to be multifaceted, meaning that we can think about going to our members of Congress and pushing for a specific type of policy. But first and foremost, as we mentioned earlier, we got to take it from the streets to the suites. As my professor says, we have to hear from the individuals that are enduring these hardships and situations and hear about what they need first. And that sounds like what Min Projects is doing and then pushing for that. In addition to that, we can also implement community programs where we are working to learn more about this issue firsthand. And the mentorship definitely speaks to that and definitely speaks to the fact that connection is so important, not just for, you know, our own individual fulfillment, but in addition to that, fulfilling our mental health long term of our community, that's ultimately going to make sure that we are having a healthier community ultimately. So I think that that's really interesting. I think that definitely um, opens my eyes to something that I haven't really looked into. And it's that mentorship piece that I would say also fulfills gaps in economic security too, because then you're learning from someone else's skill set and their history about how they got to where they are. In addition to having someone to act as a support system. So I think that's really, really fantastic. I love that you have been able to identify that. I don't think that's something that's being talked about enough in the policy realm. I'm definitely going to look into it and check that out. But it's so important, as you mentioned, for us to definitely uplift communities of color that are living in these situations. Ultimately, we have historically faced such disparity when it comes to health, have faced such disparity over the the past hundred years, and it's been traditionally attributed to like our lack of uh, nutrition things like that but they're also finding in the past couple decades past 20 years a researchers have found that it has also been attributed to stress too so in trauma and so um, individuals in the situations that you're talking about um, that have been incarcerated or have family members that have been incarcerated and they don't have the tools to really deal with uh, the emotional trauma that's coming with Uh, that not only is that going to hinder them and their economic success um, and being able to go into the job market and when they were facing um, barriers and either how to get employment or housing but you're also going to be facing um, a lot of health issues too because you have so much internalized stress that you can't really deal with and you don't have the tools to go through that and so that in turn is more likely going to lead to chronic health issues down the road we really need to start looking at mental health and stress when we start thinking about why communities of color um, and lower income communities have such an offset of being unhealthy and it's really like we're thinking about stress we're like okay well everyone's stressed like middle income people are stressed like high income people are stressed um but in reality it's those people that are higher income that still are gonna have the resources to go to the doctor, go to health clinics at the end of the day, even if they're dealing with the same stress. And sometimes the time. And the time too, especially, yeah, with the, we got to make sure these clinics are yeah. open at times that are equitable to people that are lurking, working really long hours. I'm just thinking about like what the day-to-day looks like in the communities that need these sorts of resources. Mm-hmm. That's just really important. I definitely, you know, you're saying like, oh, I'm going to, you know, defer to you to this, but I think you definitely taught me a lot about what is needed in terms of a policy conversation. The ultimate thing that I'm hearing Mm -hmm. is that like community and connection is needed. And it's not just, you know, to get 
amazing projects like this going or to get one person yeah. assistance. And it's really to build that movement of ensuring that we have communities that are have mental resiliency. Exactly. I love that. And it stresses, it's crazy that stress can really pass down generationally through these metabolic syndromes. And I've read about the research as well. And it's so interesting that it can specifically pass down through mothers. And I think one of the, one of the studies were um, for black moms. And um, yeah, the fact that community stress and uh, family stress and personal stress can cause metabolic changes in the babies. And I think that just gives us more of a responsibility to say, okay, how can we reverse the trend? And not only just reverse it um, from a community perspective, but even from a, a personal perspective and an interpersonal perspective. And so conflict resolution and, and family and parenting, you know, family training and parenting training is so important. And, you know, I think it's like, what scale are we going to be willing to decide is useful to measure that need? Because at the end of the day, in public health, scales are so important. It's kind of our bread and butter of making justification for money. And so, unfortunately, you, and fortunately, we have to have some kind of scale that says this family or this particular person because of this particular issue is more likely to experience this particular need. And so, therefore, we should fund those needs so that it doesn't lead to these particular issues, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think the way that I've really heard the most about this has been through public health surveys. So maybe that's kind of something that, I don't know if you're already implementing it at Mint, but that might be something to consider is just having these conversations with folks and making sure that it's recorded and so that the public is able to learn more about what issues that they're currently facing. And, you know, it's really astounding for us to hear Oh, so many people in the Washington, D.C. area are without this specific need right now. So that's definitely I know what you're saying. It's kind of it's strange for us to think about quantifying things that are so essential to our day to day living. I definitely hear you because at the end of the day, we do have to ask ourselves that question of, okay, well, how do we go ahead and fix everything going on? And it's it's strange to hit that balance, but I would definitely say that your organization's been doing it. And I know that you have mental health clinics, health clinics that you're starting up at Mint. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? We hired about 15 youth and we said, hey, what are the needs mentally and spiritually that this center and other centers that serve homeless youth like it? need to have present to make a difference to move the needle on the issues that you are dealing with right now. So we're talking to the youth who are literally experiencing homelessness or at risk for homelessness. Or we also had a mixture of youth who um, are, are part of the community of, of people of color and other at-risk communities, Latino communities. We, we had some transgender community representatives. And we asked, we asked them in, in our entire uh, cohort for our beautification program, we asked them, what can we do to make this space better for you and they came with some amazing ideas and so we took a underutilized room in the shelter that had like you know unfinished business and we're like let's turn it into something that's useful that's beautiful that's peaceful and so they got to work in we we trained them to the design thinking process we train them through the public health process or the, the human-centered design process and and these are youth that have struggled some struggle to read some struggle to graduate high school but they were able to stay focused and maintain a trajectory of problem solving that matched that of six-figure public health specialists. Because 
the process of, of being empathetic is very human and is very attainable. It doesn't require a six-figure education to do so. But oftentimes, once we, the six figures start coming in, we forget to think about the people we're trying to help when we're helping them. And so we're like, guys, don't be like that. Be like those who are going to make changes and stay focused on the person you're trying to help. And it helps that you're also the person that you're helping. And so they're like, okay, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. And by the end of it, they created this beautiful room with murals. They had their own art and design team. They had a plant and um, installation team and nature team. They had a digital experience team. They had a patient experience team. They wrote up their own protocol. And they determined that the best way to essentially get the entire cohort of youth and all the future cohorts into the shelter into a better mental health state was it just to create a beautiful space that will attract counselors, pastoral counselors, and mental health specialists to come. And I'm so pleased to say that they were successful. We, um, we actually have a relationship with Georgetown Hoyer Clinic, and they are volunteering to come and serve from the space, as well as we have um, received commitment from Gosha Health, which is a Christian-based healthcare company that's going to come and provide mental health services and case management services to connect them to any youth that enters into that clinic with housing support, clinic, um, clinical supervision, um, and the mental health if necessary, um, provide them access to um, food stamps and any other social service needs they have. And this is all done right now in our partner site, DC Doors, which is an amazing 24-hour um, drop-in center that has taken Mint Project in and said, do whatever you need to help make the youth have a better experience in life. And so we're really thankful for them. And we're just going to keep on moving. Our next project, actually, after um, this clinic is completely done, is we're beautifying a kitchen. And we're helping turn the kitchen into what they call Heaven's Kitchen. And so it's going to have, like, um, beautiful colors and better appliances, and we're going to get it all straightened and cleaned up so that they can host a continuous uh, culinary beautification program um, that will train the youth in how to cook for themselves, how to have proper nutrition, and how to serve others who are in need as well. Wow, Michael, that is amazing. That is truly a program of empowerment. That is a person-centered experience, as we've talked about. You're truly training people to be empowering people really to lift up their own communities and to lead projects and initiatives that are ultimately going to better their neighborhoods. And that is so wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to us about Mint Projects. Can you please let us know how we can get involved and stay up to date with all things Mint Project? M-I-N-T-Project.org. Mintproject.org. Um, we host all of our upcoming opportunities there, which include our monthly service projects like fashion shows at the women's shelter we just had, which is amazing, or like fashion shows at the youth shelter or cookouts at the men's shelter and things like that. Also, you can sign up for our beautification projects, which are 10-week programs where we hire homeless and at-risk youth and train them and, like you say, empower them to empower their communities. And all those events are found on our website to sign up. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Michael. As you noted, public health is keeping the person-centered and we are so excited to see how you are going to continue to do that with Mint Project. And we are excited to follow along and see how we can get involved. Thank you. Thank you, Jasmine. And I'm so glad that I ran across you 
Improvement Project, and I hope you get to tell your story about what has empowered you or what has inspired you to volunteer as you offer to us as well. And so we're thankful for people like yourself, and we hope that your career and your policy work and your policy wonking, I guess we call it, all that takes off and creates a great impact because I can see that you really do care. I absolutely do. And it's been such a pleasure learning from you again. And I feel like I really took a lot away from this conversation in terms of how to think about the bigger picture. But again, as I mentioned, all parts of the solution are so necessary. We need folks that are going to be lobbying lobbying for good solutions. We need folks that are going to be on the ground talking to the individuals that are going through uh, whatever problems that we're trying to solve. Because Ultimately, the solutions have to be person-centered, and that's what this work is all about. So that's fantastic. Amen. Love it.